KYW Original Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is KYW Community Affairs Reporter and Flashpoint host, Cherry Gregg. I gotta tell you, the past three weeks have been unlike anything this country has experienced in a generation. And for me personally, as a journalist and as a black person, it has been traumatic, it has been overwhelming, and empowering all at the same time. For my colleagues, the many diverse voices on air and behind the scenes, they too have been processing what we as first responders had to see up close. So we decided to create this special one-hour edition of the show. Witness to Change, a Flashpoint special, is a cathartic look behind the mic. We highlight the diverse perspectives at our station, and we specifically give space for our Black journalists to share how they are processing this racially charged time, both personally and professionally. You call your DJ, that's okay. Check his boss. Check his right now. Check his boss. Check the man ain't moved yet, bro. The man ain't moved yet, bro. Tell me what his pulse is right now. Check the pulse. Bro, he has not moved, not one time. I was at home on social media with my son. I was at home and I saw it circulating online. I think I was probably laying down. Sometimes I quickly scan Facebook posts before I go to sleep. So I'm pretty sure that I read a news article on Facebook. I had heard about what had happened from a friend and then later saw it on social media. I was just waking up, getting ready to go run at around 4 a.m. I saw it on my Twitter feed. I was sitting at home with my mother and my little brother when I saw the video of George Floyd's death and I remember feeling a knot in my stomach when the video was being aired. It was appalling. My name is Ariane Fulcher and I'm a news production assistant at KYW News Radio. My name is Ali Amato. I am a administrative assistant, production assistant, and associate producer. My name is Dennis Edward. And I am the Newsroom Operations Coordinator at KYW News Radio. My name is Holly Stevens, and I'm the Digital Content Producer. I'm one of the faces behind KYW's social media accounts. Hello, my name is Justin Udo. I'm a reporter here at KYW News Radio. My name is Amaris Manning, and I am a news production assistant at KYW News Radio. What I saw happening in Minneapolis and around the country in response to the video. Well, it was a lot of built-up anger and frustration from the people who, like myself, were sick and tired of seeing the brutal killing of an African-American. I hadn't planned to watch the video, but when I went on Facebook, I saw someone had posted it. I got about halfway through before I had to stop. I didn't. I did eventually get through it, but it took all of my energy. And what struck me the most was the length of the video, how George Floyd called out to his mother, and how there was no officer intervention. Watching Floyd say that he couldn't breathe, hearing him cry for his mother, watching George Floyd lose his life right in front of my very eyes. I think what stood out to me was the fact that it wasn't this swift or repetitive act of brutality, but it was this prolonged action of this officer leaning into this man's neck and had all this time to really think about what he was doing but we basically heard him pleading for his life as he said i can't breathe i can't breathe over and over and you know even the weakness that you heard in his voice as he said that i think was a wake-up call for a lot of people 
My name is Kyrie Moses, and I'm a traffic reporter here at KYW News Radio. Over the years, I think that this was kind of the final straw for a lot of people, and a lot of people were fed up. I saw anger, pain, frustration, decades and centuries of pain coming to a head. People were and are fed up. It was like watching the country grieve. My name is Antoinette Lee, and I'm a general assignment reporter here at KYW News Radio. What I saw happening in Minneapolis is well, there's a phrase that's often used. It's called pressure bus pipes. And the pipe burst that night in Minneapolis. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and I'm an anchor here at KYW News Radio. Now, a lot of people will say that they didn't think it could happen here in Philadelphia, that it wasn't going to happen in Philly the way that it did. I knew the moment I got up that morning on Saturday that something was going to go down in Philadelphia. When I saw the riots in Minneapolis and Atlanta, it was no surprise that they were going to happen in Philadelphia. The first thing I said, and I said this to people, that's not going to happen here. I believe that it was only a matter of time. I did not think it would come to Philly. I thought there would be some sort of protest in Philly. I just did not think it would be as big as what it came to be. When I saw Minneapolis in Atlanta rioting, I had a feeling that Philly was going to riot next. Carol, Philadelphia Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw put out a statement late last night. She says communities of color are once again going through this pain. They are sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's important that you remember George Floyd, primarily because that could have been me. That could have been me. That could have been my brother. That could have been my sister. That could have been my mother. That could have been my uncle. That could have been my aunt. Protests going on across the country highlight a lot of the hurt that so many people are... Putting a knee on somebody's neck is not justified at all. It is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. An officer was injured when someone threw a brick through a police car windshield at 50 seconds. As soon as I got here, uh, a large military vehicle uh, shot out a bunch of smoke bombs at us. I got a nasty face at one and my eyes were still watering. But... Shopping district where most of the looting had been taking place. Police have put barriers up around that. And Center City unrecognizable. Store windows smashed. Glass littering the streets. Are defending the use of tear gas and a group of protesters. Man, I feel like I'm in a war zone. It's almost surreal. Well, I will tell you, I was in New Jersey at a friend's house. I had planned to go to a socially distanced very small gathering (laughs) when my phone started blowing up and I looked at my phone and I saw that it it said Shara Day Howard. I knew that there had been protests earlier, but last I checked on my way to New Jersey, they were peaceful. (laughs) So I was kind of wondering why she was calling. And when I answered the phone, she basically said that It had gotten crazy and they really needed me to come in. And I was like, are you sure? She was like, no, we really need you to come in like now. Let's go to KYW's Hadass Business. You're you're at the Broad and Vine around there. 
I'm at Broad and Vine in the middle in the middle of the street where there are protesters and police. Traffic is blocked off. Now this is definitely a turn of events from the peaceful, silent protest with social distancing that took place this morning at City Hall. Uh, protesters are in the streets. I can see plumes of smoke from Vine Street. I'm kind of a little bit further back. We are hearing from our KYW traffic center that a uh, it could be a car fire. I'm not sure if it's a police car. What kind of a car? Quite frankly, I've never experienced this type of rioting in Philadelphia before. My name is Hadas Kuznets and I'm a news reporter for KYW News Radio. I'm in Philadelphia. I've seen like tense moments. I've seen small skirmishes. I have never seen, you know, Molotov cocktails being thrown into police cars and giant plate glass walls being, you know, smashed and vehicles going up in flames and looting like that what was happening on uh, Chestnut Street I'd never seen that sort of activity and the you know the glass breaking in the business district no I, I in the beginning of the day I was I was working the protests and it was really peaceful there were they were even social distancing from each other and taking a knee for nine minutes and the protesters were you know very adamant about masks and being respectful and you know not not fighting with the police and I shot that first video of that uh, silent protest and it got like a thousand shares or something crazy and I was reading the comments and people were saying like wait till tonight and I thought like no way it's I mean I didn't really think that it was going to get to that extreme because I hadn't seen it around 3 30 in the afternoon it got crazy I listened on the way back to KYW News Radio, and that's I heard Hadass, uh, and I heard Kristen Johansson on air talking about, you know, the Rizzo statue. People had been circling it, and I was like, "Oh crap! Like it's getting serious." That Saturday, I was on call for that night, and so when there was one car that was set on fire at Broad and Vine Street, that's when I kind of stepped in. Um, to assist Hadas with what was going on. You know, you saw one cop car lit on fire and that was, you know, my heart just kind of like went, uh-oh. It just started to really thump. And then you saw the second cop car vandalized and set on fire. Then they were kind of directing their focus at one point to the Mayor Rizzo statue and trying to light that on fire. Actually, I'm, I want to, you mentioned Vine Street, I want to go over there now. Our own Kristen Johansson is there where there's a lot of activity right around the Riz, Frank Rizzo statue. We'll go to Chris, Kristen Johansson right now. Kristen, what's going on out there where you, from where you're Yeah, right, from right on kind of a diagonal to the Mayor Rizzo statue where they people just got up on it and spray painted all around it. They now have a rope around the hand that we know uh, that points uh, kind of towards City Hall. Uh, and it looks like they're going to try to pull down the Frank Rizzo statue. Now, police are surrounding uh, the MSM, MSB building, the Municipal Services building um, here, just to kind of barricade from uh, anybody going in because a lot of that lower floor is all glass. Right now, up, right now I see a flame against uh, the Frank Rizzo statue. There is, they are lighting the Frank Rizzo statue right now. They are lighting the Frank Rizzo statue. There is smoke and there are flames coming up from it's, the Frank Rizzo it's on, statue. It's on fire. Uh, it, is, it was on fire. 
a third cop car and a fourth cop car and then all set on fire and then a pod on fire and it was really becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and then when they set the Starbucks on fire over that's over in Dilworth Plaza that's where I was just like wow I want to say around six o'clock maybe six thirty, when kind of the mass started to make their way down to 15th and Walnut and 15th and Chestnut totally ransacking, shattering glass everywhere, shattering glass on the entrances to the suburban station, purposely trying to ruin as much as they could around that area in the center city district. There were more cop cars being set on fire and there were not enough police officers. And it really felt like this was like the end of the city. Like just in my whole psyche, my heart was broken for the city that they have gotten to this point. And the people that we saw that were doing a lot of the destruction were not the same people that are part of the Black Lives Matter movement. This was like, these were kids. These were like a lot of college kids or or maybe just out of college, white kids from the suburbs. Um, I heard one kid saying he was from Bishop McDevitt. It was just a very odd, disheartening experience. I mean, from what I saw during the day to what I saw at night was just just drastically different. I ran home, changed into my KYW shirt, put some sneakers on, grabbed my bag, my mic, both phones, a charger. And as soon as I hit 17th and JFK, I started seeing graffiti. And I have a good friend of mine. I have a number of friends who are attorneys and their offices are right at 16th and JFK. So I saw that, you know, their buildings have been vandalized. And I think there's a building right at 15th and JFK. Um, no, I think it's 16th and JFK that with the TD Bank. Um, the window had been smashed. And I had gone to that building many a times uh, for stories that I'd done with the Senior Law Center and other legal counsel um, right there. So to see it smashed that way, to see graffiti everywhere, to see a car turned over, look like it had been burnt out, a police car, to see the Rizzo statue defaced with paint and all kinds of things hanging on it, to see all these people out there. I mean, it looked like a hurricane of chaos had whipped through that section of downtown right near City Hall and had spit up graffiti fire, trash, and flames. I mean, that's what it looked like. It literally looked like a hurricane of destruction had blown through right around City Hall. It was crazy. Well, my name's Jay Scott Smith, and I am an anchor mostly, and occasionally I'll do some reporting at KW News Radio. May 30th was a very memorable day. What were you doing that day? I was anchoring that Saturday afternoon on KW, and yeah, it was. It got pretty heated pretty fast. I would say that in the 15 years I've been in radio, that was maybe the most active situation that I'd ever been a part of, at least in terms of live on air. And it was a weird combination of both just as a journalist having that kind of a rush to be, be a part of that, but also it was kind of disheartening to see at the same time. Did any of the perspective, your individual perspective, come into play 
as you process this or was it simply you focused on just getting the job done? Oh, my individual perspective also kicked in too, but it was trying to make sure that that didn't totally cloud the coverage. But as I'm watching it, the first thing that pops into my head is these people are angry and I'm looking at the makeup of the people in there who are raging out. The first thing I'm thinking of is how soon does this really turn to where you're getting tear gas and where you're getting people really starting to tear things up. But my news instincts, it's it's a weird thing. You have to balance this where you try not to get too emotional. At the same time, I knew why they were protesting and I understood why they were angry because I was angry myself the whole week. Wasn't one type of people involved in this rioting the first day? And were you surprised that it wasn't just one type of people? I was somewhat surprised to see white people there and brown people there and everybody of different ethnicities there. It was almost weird to say it was kind of heartening at the same time because it wasn't just angry black people. It's like citizens at this point were just so done with what they had seen with George Floyd, which had only been five days earlier. Finally, they were making it known that they've had enough, too. Jay, you are the son of a police officer. You're from Detroit. How did that color the way you viewed things as you were witnessing it? it and that's actually a really good question. And it's something that I've had to kind of battle with, really, since I was a teenager. Because I grew up with my dad being a police officer. He's in the uniform. He would leave, go to work every morning. And whenever we would go down to the neighborhood he grew up in in southwest Detroit, people didn't call him Officer Smith. He was never Officer Smith. He wasn't 5'0". They didn't call him a pig, none of that. He came out there and he's Officer Smitty. Or they just call him Smitty. And I've always, I had spent the first 10, 11 years of my life just thinking that's what cops were. It wasn't until I saw the Rodney King video in 1991 that it first settled in like, these are cops. Why are they beating that man up? What did he do? And that's when my mom had to kind of start leaning into me and telling me that these are some of the other things that police officers do. My dad would see a guy getting into something in the streets and he's like, what are you doing out here? I know your mama. What are you doing out here? I know your grandmother's worried about you. I ain't going to take you in, but you need to get out of here and get back home. And that's the thing that I had always associated cops with when I was a kid. But now he's long retired and even he's a lot more about this can't happen. It's already tough enough being a police officer when you don't do anything wrong. But he's he noted it. A lot of those white cops, because famously, I've told this on my podcast before and I've told it in other interviews before. When I was 16 years old and I got my driver's license because every young black man gets the police talk. He told me, here's what you got to do to get home because I know what they'll do to you. It didn't register with me initially what he meant by that. A few years later, when I get tailed by a police officer in East Lansing, Michigan, when I'm at Michigan State University, and the guy just follows me all the way onto campus, pops up his flashlight. He has flashlight in one hand and his hand on his gun, demanding my ID and to know where I am and claiming that there has been crimes and burglaries around this dorm that I stay in, which wasn't true. That's when it really registered with me like, this is what he meant. This is real. And it don't make a difference whether I'm a newscaster, how many degrees I got, no matter what. This is what black life in America can be like if you are dealing with the police. I want to kind of talk about this from the 30,000 foot level. You were in the studio and you were able to talk to the people on the ground You were able to see the video of what was happening. You also were getting communication from the desk 
onto where to go next, what was happening in other places. What was that like, given your personal experience and your understanding of this anger that people had during this riot slash rebellion, as you characterized it? That Sunday was the day that it kind of was heavy for me. The Sunday when the looting is going on in West Philly, you were on the ground out there, Justin's on the ground out there, and Shara, Shara Day Howard had taken over as editor by the time things really had gotten rolling during that afternoon. And I felt this great responsibility because, and, and yeah, we're supposed to have responsibility to our whole audience. And I certainly take that seriously. My thing is I wanted to be as accurate as possible and get this right. And at the same time, I know that this is the rare instance in this business where you had four black journalists kind of connected at once here. And we were on the ground. Your voice on that ground, on the ground, by the way, was so vital. And when I knew you were out there and I knew Justin was out there, I knew all I had to do was feed questions. And my whole feel is, is that if you can't see this on TV, I want to make sure that I'm able to help convey this message that this is this is something pretty extraordinary that we're seeing here. And I wanted to do it with a little bit of historical context. That's why I would note the previous disturbances in cities like Baltimore or with Freddie Gray, or I would note Ferguson. And, and I felt that as a, not just a, an anchor, but as a black man who's got a very deep understanding of the history of racism and racial struggle and, and really not just racial violence, but racial uprisings in this country, that what we're seeing here, while it's not normal, it's not something we haven't seen before, and we're trying to lend as much context to it. And I, I want you to dig in, take a minute. It's rare. I've never worked with four black journalists. And I've, I mean, KYW clearly is a diverse newsroom. Black journalists are not the majority there. And yet on this day, it just so happens that four of us were working together. What do you think that did to the coverage of this black neighborhood in West Philly? It made it real. It humanized it. It, it was one of those things where we got it. And to have been able to have been on that microphone that day with you guys, a regular mainstream newsroom, this is the blackest newsroom I've ever been a part of. And not just with just the four of us, but also with Antoinette, Antoinette Lee, with also with Kimberly Adams. And that's, and we're even getting further into the, into the other editors like, like Quentin Clyatt and, and the, and the web crew and everybody else. I, I don't, I'm not used to being in a newsroom that kind of looks like the city I cover. And that's what we added is that, Yes, we have great reporters at that station. The day before, Hadass and Kristen Johansson did an amazing job on air with me, and they got some really powerful stuff. But that Sunday, that Sunday was as raw and as real and as needed. And I don't think that that coverage comes off the way it does, as raw and as honest as it does, if I'm not there, if you're not there, if Justin wasn't there, if Shara wasn't, wasn't in there. And in between, I'm just making sure I add in enough context, I keep people updated, and I try to do everything I can to spin a very clear picture that this is not only not normal, but you can't just make the judgment that these are black people tearing up their neighborhoods, that these are just black people acting crazy, because that's the narrative that goes on when you see these things. They're just tearing up their own neighborhoods. There's a reason that all this is going on, and there's more to it that meets the eye. That story would have been good with just about any reporter we had in there. That story became real and became major because you were out there, because Justin was there, because Shara was in my ear the whole time. It's not just simply a black story. No, this is a reality thing. This city is 72% black and brown. 
The, this city has got a rich history. It's one of the blackest cities in the country. It has one of the largest populations of black Muslims. This ain't, this ain't us making it about ourselves. This is us making it about the city. My name is Sharaday Howard. I'm an editor reporter at uh, the station. What I do is uh, produce usually the evening shows and report whenever I'm called on. You came in right as the hell broke loose. That, at that moment, that, that police car <laughs> went up in flames and so did the original plan for the day. What that meant was the, that all hands on deck. We reached out to you. We reached out to reporters that, you know, live in their life. And this is this is what our life is. Our life is, you know, get it on air, get it on tape, get it down, get it in the history books. And that's exactly what you did. That's what we did. You were seeing this unfold. What was going through your mind? What was going through my mind originally? It was, OK, let me let me write all this up. And then the next thing you know, we went from writing everything up to now we got to figure out, OK, whose voice do we need on this? Because we're going to have to go live. This is going to be live wall to wall. There is no pre-scripted anything. There's no script. So it was go time. It was absolute go time. We had Hadass on the scene. She's the one who was there when it broke out. You had right, Johansson. Right. You had me. It was like the McDevitt. It was like the, we had to have a full range of people. We needed to figure out what the where the ground zeros were. And there wasn't one ground zero. There was five ground zeros you know we had and we had our best people on uh, our eyes and ears making sure that not only did we see the flames over here but we were wrecking you were out in west philly recognizing like wait a minute these are not people from west philadelphia this is not that is not the story we're telling here today we are telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth and what that means is who are you what are you doing here what's the purpose of this where are we going with this where is this heading and you had to be you were in the line of fire because it was a right it was it was about Race. Yeah, it was racially charged. How do you balance that when you're dealing with race and we're trained to be unbiased? The truth is that you use it to inform yourself. You use it to inform your uh, your audience, but also your perspective. I mean, this is a really being a black person, a black woman, being someone who gets to tell the story, who gets to see the story and all of its all of its fleshiness, you were out there making sure that every angle was seen. People need to know this racially charged topic was being told by someone who had some skin in the game. This was one of the times that it's important to see the perspective of someone with the skin in the game. So there was no opportunity to just be all facts and no and absolutely no emotion. It was an emotional, racially charged time. And I think that people in these instances, when it comes to civil rights, when it comes to the fourth estate, when it comes to our jobs as reporters and as journalists and as editors and how the story is told, you got to tell the truth. The truth was what you were seeing. I got to talk about Sunday. Yes. Oh, that was extra. Literally, I have goosebumps thinking about West Philly. Mm -hmm. When you think about what we all saw that day. As a black person, but also as someone, my family's from West Philadelphia. I grew up on 54th and Chestnut. I hung out. So did my mom, my grandma, my aunts, my uncles, brothers. We hung out on 52nd Street. That was our home. The The thought of that being ruined, but the thought of there being a message that also needed to be conveyed. I needed to know that home was okay. I needed to know who was in there, who... Who was there? Who was present? Who was on the street? How is this going down? I couldn't be there physically. So you were my eyes and ears. And you were the same for my grandma, my aunts, my uncles, everyone in Philadelphia who knows 52nd Street and and 60th and 61st and 69th. That whole run is West Philly. It was crazy. And uh, you as a black woman who grew up in black 
blackity black West Philly. Yes. I mean, to see and to hear your neighborhood burn. Mm-hmm. It was rough to see the stores that I remember going to at a, as a 10-year-old, as a 15-year-old, then as a 25-year-old. And then somewhere, you know, this was our history going up in smoke. So what was going to take the, its place? Are you glad you were there that day? You know what? I feel honored to be there that day. Because I think sometimes as black people, we get left out. Even when the story's about us, we get left out. And someone else is telling it from a perspective that we can't even relate to. But it's in our backyard. So now we had someone telling a story that not only was in our backyard and we could relate to, but we were included. And now we have to be included in what's going to take its place. Now it went up in flames. Now what's, going to, what's the future of this? Jay says something to me. He said he's never been in a newsroom where he had the, the opportunity to have four black journalists on. And if you add Andre on the, on the web, five black journalists on at the same time in a newsroom, we're not black press. I think that says not only a lot about KYW, that t- speaks to the heart of KYW News Radio. It speaks to the heart of what our purpose is here. Our purpose is not to make us the story. Our purpose is to inform the story, give people exactly the truth, nothing but the truth. And you need to be able to represent all aspects of what Philadelphia is and all of its absolute diversity. So I think uh, as the KYW and having people who can represent all of Philadelphia in its glory is what helps us do our job effectively. I mean, how do you feel about what happened that day and then looking forward? This is ongoing. This is the beginning of something big. We got to figure out again, once that's burned down, where do we go from here? What's tomorrow look like? Are we going to make all of this? Is this all going to happen in vain or are we going to have a purpose here? I'm proud. I was not only proud as a black woman, I was proud to see my coworkers out there. I was proud to be a part of history because things will never be the same. And we not only have to accept that, we have to embrace that. Hey everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers and change makers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. You know, I'm off on Saturdays and Sundays. So day two of the chaos, I got another call uh, from the radio station saying they'd like me to come in. I think I got the call around 3 o'clock, 3.30. And I had laid out my clothes. I was ready. I got my stuff together. I think I was headed to West Philly probably by 4 o'clock. And I was in place by 5 it's a 52nd and Chestnut, from what I understand. This is 52nd and Chestnut, right? Not that far from where Justin Udo was earlier, but this is 52nd and Chestnut, a police vehicle. The window has been smashed, and we don't know if they're... Uh, let's go live to KYW's Cherry Gregg, okay. who's out there right now. Cherry, what is going on out there where you are? Well, I'm now at 52nd and Chestnut, uh, standing across the street from a footlocker, where a number of people uh, are standing on top of a police vehicle. The windshield has been busted out, and people are climbing inside of a door uh, to the footlocker. Um, I see like a couple dozen folks. The police are literally 200 feet uh, from, they're less than a half a block um, from the looters here. 
over at the Foot Locker, and they're looking at them. Most of the police have the batons. They're with their masks. They have their riot gear, and they're literally just they're, watching them they're rocking, uh, stand they're on top of this police car. vehicle. Yeah, but the police are too. just a couple... And the police are just a couple hundred feet away. They're standing near police cars. And there's other police cars with damage uh, where they're standing on 52nd Street. I didn't know how to feel because I didn't really know what was happening there. But I knew the fabric of that community. I had been covering West Philly for years. Um, You know, West Philly is an African-American community. I had been around to see some of the revitalization that had happened, also covered some of the issues that they had, specifically around returning citizens and people with criminal past being unable to get jobs, specifically with the high level of gun violence, food deserts. And people have really started making things happen and turning things around. And it was like, starting to be like this beacon of light. I mean, that McDonald's was fairly new. You know, they had a brown shop right at 52nd and Parkside. I mean, they they had a lot going on that was just really, really good. I was sad because I know how much work people put in to build this section of the city uh, up. But I also had a level of empathy because... I knew that that district of the police was notorious. Um, I know a lot of civil rights attorneys and I've heard of lawsuits being filed because of police brutality. There was a story of a blind man who had been beaten up by police in that very same community several years ago uh, and charged with all kinds of stuff. And he could not see he had been shot in the face and was totally blind and couldn't have done the things that those officers said he did. So. I could understand, you know, why people were mad. I had a level of deep understanding. At the same time, I was deeply sad because I was like, man, what are they going to do when this is all over? What is it going to look like? How are they going to build this back up? I know how much work it took to get it to where it was. And I knew the dreams that they had of taking it to the next level. And I could see those dreams going up in flames and I was just hopeful that the damage wouldn't be that bad. Black communities, I've heard the the rhetoric, the coded language, they're animals, they're doing this, they're doing that. And they're tearing up their own community. I've heard it so many times. I've talked to people who think that way. Given where we are with race relations in this country, I think it's very important that you send people who are sensitive to the issues of a specific neighborhood and not just sensitive in the fact that they've read about it or written about it, but that they have experienced some of the things that these people are talking about. Because it is something to watch a story about yourself that doesn't reflect you at all. And someone misses the mark, not because they're trying to be any kind of way, just because they lack the type of experiences or the lens that it takes to really understand something like deep poverty or police brutality or rage, rage and helplessness. That is a tough thing to empathize with if you've never experienced it personally. And so I've experienced it in some regards personally, and I've seen it up close on many levels. And so I think that's why you have a collection of professionals at your disposal that can cover a city 
that is as diverse as Philadelphia and have the people that work with you be a true reflection of that city so that you could dispatch anybody at any time. And those people feel like someone was sent there who understands their plight. My name is Justin Udo, and I'm a reporter at KYW News Radio. I started back in 2009 as a desk assistant. I've also been an editor. I've also worked on web, too. But I'm a reporter, a reporter at heart, and that is what I do. Where were you when all H-E double hockey sticks broke loose in Philly? I was laying at home in my bed watching cartoons. As I turned to look at a little social media, I saw that everything was happening and when I saw that I was like okay wow this is crazy let me get back to my cartoons we reversed earlier that week I mean we see the protest and we see the rioting in Minneapolis and a few days before that I'm watching the murder of George Floyd and a few days before that I'm watching the murder of another man out running so there was just a lot and I know how to balance myself and so that's why for that time I'm like I'm going to be around it and I'm going to be I'm going to make myself knowledgeable what's going on. But for this time being, I have to make sure I take time for myself so that I don't burn out on it all. My name is Antoinette Lee. I'm a general assignment reporter. Um, I usually work evenings and I also uh, lead Philly Rising, which is a positive next uh, news segment for KYW. And so, Antoinette, where were you when all of this chaos erupted? Saturday, I went out to the protest uh, early around like three or four just to see what was happening. Um, I ended up not working that day, which was, you know, good because I wasn't in the emotional position to do so. Uh, I was really grieving watching everything sort of unfold on social media. So I went out that Saturday and it was pretty uh, peaceful when I was out there. But I think towards the nighttime is when things started to change and looting started to take place. Antoinette, did you black it out or did you follow along with what was happening? I I could not bl- black it out. Like I I felt the need to be informed and to sort of like be doing something in a way. So I, I, I felt like I was doing some sort of justice in like keeping an eye on everything that was going on. What struck you about the chaos you were watching unfold on social media? People were really tearing stuff up. <laughs> I did not think that was going to happen. All H-E-L-L broke, broke loose. You're thrown into the mix, Justin, day two. What went through your mind? Because you went to multiple places that day. It was one of the busier days I've ever had. I started off in the morning. I saw some different businesses in Center City that had, their stores had been looted the prior day. And then, and then my editor, he wanted me to go out to uh, Southwest Philadelphia where some spiritual leaders and elected officials were meeting and they were going to go help with the cleanup. And after that, I was sent up to Port Richmond section of the city. There's looting, there's fires, there's a lot of just craziness. After I spent some time there reporting there, I was actually texting with Antoinette and she said, are you seeing what's going on in West Philadelphia? I said, no. She's like, you need to be in West Philadelphia. So I tell my editor and he's like, well, Cherry's on her way from New Jersey. I'm like, I'm going to do one more live hit here. Things are kind of cooling down here. I'm going to West Philly. When I get to West Philly, I, I parked a few blocks away from where I'm told I have to be and I'll start walking and I turn a corner and there's just dozens of people running at me. And so I said, okay, if this is what's going on, I'm going in the right direction. So I keep on going forward and that's when I met with a, the first sight is this armored police vehicle that looks like something that you would see in Desert Storm or in Iraq. And he's shooting off these smoke bombs and one whizzes 
just inches past my head. And I said, okay, we got that out of the way. Let's go. I dial in and I'm ready to go live. It was wild. It was wild. Answered, I got to ask you, man, you're off work monitoring this. Why did you text Justin and say, you got to go to West Philly? Why did you say that? To be honest, I was scared for those kids. I didn't know what else I could do in my power at that moment other than tell Justin, look, you got to get down here, see what's going on. If Justin gets there, then I know he's going to tell the people what's going on. And there is a, is, is a certain accountability when the news is there and when they're reporting in real time about what they're seeing. Did you being a black person influence your reporting on on West Philadelphia and on this unrest generally? I don't think being a black person influenced my reporting as much as it had everything to do with with my reporting. And it, it was a reminder to me um, seeing these people in these situations of situations in neighborhoods uh, just like mine that I came from to remind me to tell a story, not to look at it at a, from such a broad view, but but to look at the individuals to to understand what they're going through because having friends that that have been harassed by police me myself having gone through it having seen people beaten by the police and and understanding the pain that's behind it that played a part i think but uh it didn't change me taking an unbiased approach it didn't change me um wanting to tell the best story um because i want to do that with anything i'm on yeah you mentioned you'd been pulled over by police and harassed by police Explain why that leads to anger. It's happened to me so many times and I've been harassed a lot of times for reasons of that I had no control over um, where it kind of turns into apathy. And it's, sometimes it comes into frustration, me getting feisty with them. And it's like you try to push those feelings down in the in the middle of the situation so you can get out of it with your life. And that's that's really the the most important thing. You're you're trying to get away with your life. Antoine, I got to ask you, I mean, watching this and watching the coverage, were there facts that you as a black person were very much attuned to. I think that so many times we have seen this play out in the media and people who are rioting, they don't, the full story is not there. For me, I was just looking to make sure that this story was told accurately. It was not always the black people starting trouble, as we know. It was not them always starting the fires. And I wanted the to make sure that the public had a full perspective in understanding that a lot of people are angry right now, but there are some people who just go out to these protests to make trouble. And then that sort of overpowers and takes over the message of people who are actually seeking justice. As Wynette said, Justin, you got to go to West Philly. Why was it important that you specifically, why, why you felt you needed to be in West Philly? I mean, there's there's very few times um, that I can recount in my life where in this country where skin like mine is a, is a positive thing. But I knew being out there, I looked like I was just another resident in the neighborhood that that I think that helped me immensely. So, Antoinette, was I right about why you wanted Justin to be there? Some <laughs> sometimes I feel like black communities can go forgotten about and these stories don't get told unless someone like us tells them. That's just that's my opinion. When, you know, something bad happens, then people show up. But then this is after something bad happened. We haven't told the full story. So if you have somebody there when it's happening, then they can give the full perspective of what is actually going down. How do you feel about the fact, Justin, that you were there? I'm happy I was there. I wouldn't change it for anything. I hope I did the the people, the neighbors. I hope I did best, by, I did right by them. Do you think you as a black reporter processes this 
unrest a little bit differently? Most certainly. I think that some people have have moved on in the stories that they're telling. It's like last weekend or the weekend before didn't even happen. But this is this is not something that we can let die. My name is Holly and I'm the digital content producer. So I'm one of the faces that you see behind our social media accounts. When did you find out all of this, the madness was happening in Philadelphia? So I was out of town that weekend and um, I was helping my sister move. And so I didn't have my phone on me all day. And I I get a text from my coworker, Rachel, who I guess was putting together a video of of the events that had, uh, had transpired that day and night. And so my first look at everything was a video that she had put together of, you know, going from day to night and what had happened. And I I was just in complete disbelief, just like, wait, this is happening right now in Philly? And so that made me, you know, go on Twitter and I was looking at, you know, all of our reporters' feeds and seeing what was happening. And it was just crazy. Your thoughts as a a young woman uh, and a young woman of color seeing this unfold where where this riot slash rebellion is led by young people. Everything that has happened like historically paved the way for this and none of that was peaceful. Yes, we're hearing more about, you know, what's been happening now, but that's just because of the internet, because we have cell phones, because we have all these ways to communicate and get and take these videos and send them to our friends and make them go viral. People have been getting arrested for this stuff for, for, you know, for generations. It's not just us. Like the only difference is that we're out there recording everything. My name is Andre Bennett. I am a digital editor for KYW News Radio. Andre, did you have any characterization of what was happening? Oh, I thought it was a riot, but I don't look at riots as, as uh, illegitimate statements because throughout history, riots have kind of been, they've been platforms for change in their own right. Our country started basically from riots. Pride is the remembrance and celebration and observation of uh, the anniversary of the Stonewall riots. So it's like you got that, you've got all sorts of what the protests became in the 60s when, you know, when our, when our ancestors were attacked, had dogs sicked on them. I don't like to, to illegitimize the word. Martin Luther King said, a riot is the language of the unheard. Andre, I mean, you're on social media too. You're running it. Was there an angle that you saw that struck you? I was just, I just remember being progressively more and more sad. It just got to me on such a profoundly emotional level. I, I was just shell-shocked. You see all of this happening in other cities and you're, you know, you're upset to see it. But then you see it happening in your own city and then it's just like even, it hits even harder. Did seeing all this impact you as a journalist and then as a black person? Was it the same way or was it different? As a person, I was just really devastated, depressed, sad, feeling hopeless. Like I could go on and on just by like all the negatives that I was feeling. I just wanted to like curl up into a ball and just, you know, not really do anything. But as a journalist, you know, we're not allowed to do that at all. We can't, you know, separate ourselves from what's going on because what's going on is what we do. So I did a lot of journaling and thinking and, you know, gassing myself up. To get to the point where I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, you have a job to do and you got to do it to the best of your ability, given the circumstances. As a person, I was deeply affected. As a journalist, I was just trying to just do the job. 
ultimately, we just wanted to make sure that we presented everything as best as possible. Do you think there's a generational difference? Have you felt any of that, seen any of that at all? And how process what has happened here? I, I would say so. My grandparents, who, who I recent, who I lost last year, we've been um, in the process of cleaning out their house. And one of the things that I keep finding are all of these like pamphlets and stuff from, you know, black liberation meetings that they, that they went to and all of this stuff, you know, about black power, books, propaganda, just all of this stuff. From that, I, I guess I would just say that the, the biggest thing is, I guess, more inclusiveness, I guess. I feel like a lot of other races are trying to make Black Lives Matter, you know, more their issue than in the past. And which is great and awesome, and I hope it keeps up. So I, I think that maybe our opinions through that are a little different in the sense that more people are trying to come together and understand and educate than they would have, you know, 40, 50 years ago. But our wants and our needs are still there, and, you know, the fight is real, and it's pretty much the same as it was, you know, when my grandparents were doing their thing out there. And Andre, I know your your dad, also a journalist. Do you see any difference uh, in a generation for this type of racial tension and what occurred here in Philadelphia? After that weekend, I on my social feeds, I start seeing everybody finally speaking up. And I had never seen that before. Even people who were like total like devil's advocate type people were finally like, oh, you know, I get it now. I, I understand and I'm sorry. We shall overcome. I think people were upset about what happened, but what I also saw in the days that followed um, was a coming together of community. I mean, there is an eager desire to rebuild as quickly as possible. And you saw neighbors coming out. You saw different community groups coming out, helping the store owners to to clean up the, the destruction and to rebuild. I mean, I covered the reopening of the Brown ShopRite at 52nd and Parkside and hundreds of people. I mean, Jeff Brown said like 200 volunteers helped his 300 employees and other folks that he hired from outside clean up, restock, get this store back online in less than a week. I mean, to me, you can't beat anything like that. You can't beat it. There were a lot of people who were angry and they were like, you know, these kids, they shouldn't have done this. This is our community. Why would you do this? At the same time, they do understand why the kids are angry and they realize that something needs to be done to quell the anger and that change needs to happen. And so I think everything that happened sort of fired people up. And while they were mad, I do think that people started bringing resources together. They started volunteering and they started doing everything necessary to minimize the damage and the fallout and the aftermath and to make sure that West Philly rises again. I guess asking if George Floyd's death is a catalyst, you almost have to wonder what it could be for. If it was a catalyst for anger, for rage, and for kind of like the tipping point of frustration, then yes, I think it was a catalyst. But when it comes to change, you have to you have to have a world that's receptive to it. 
I would call it more of a tipping point. It was the perfect formula. People have been home, some out of work and school for months. There's no sports, no clubs, no entertainment, and things that people would usually become distracted with. A lot of things have happened within a couple of weeks. There was Amy Cooper, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and then the world got to see a cop use his knee to take the breath out of a man while he was handcuffed on the ground as he called on his mother and he said, I can't breathe. I think George Floyd's death has been a catalyst for a few things. A catalyst for police reform, a catalyst for the removal of monuments connected to racism, and a catalyst for discussions about race. The change and equality that people have been fighting decades for. Now, we have been here before, so it may be a little early to say, but this does feel different. What surprised me um, while watching the news coverage was the amount of non-black Americans proclaiming that black lives mattered. This really touched me. Uh, They marched with us to tell the world that the lives of African Americans are just as important as the lives of others. I feel cautiously optimistic about the aftermath of the protests. The amount of change we've seen already in policies nationwide is definitely something I've never seen before. I think that every time I see something like this, it changes me as a person. And I think that I could speak for a lot of other black people that I say that every time you see or hear something like this, it hardens you a little bit more. But I think what I realize is how important it is to be a black person in media, to just be in the room, to have that perspective, to be able to share insight and paint a more colorful picture for people. Witnessing history up close has changed me as a person and a journalist. First, I'm a Black mother raising a Black son in America, and this is preparing me to have those conversations about being Black in America with my child. And as a journalist and someone working in the newsroom, this has inspired me to be the voice of those who can't speak. I get to use this platform to tell the facts and share stories. When you look and think about a lot of movements today that demand social equality and justice, they are orchestrated by a lot of young people. Why? Because they are the future. That's it for Witness to Change, a Flashpoint special. You can check out the full podcast and share it with friends by downloading the Radio.com app or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. You can also find it by searching for our KYW original podcast called In-Depth. A big thank you to In-Depth executive producer Tom Rickard and to the entire KYW News Radio staff for participating. And because we always end Flashpoint with a quote, here's one. From the late John F. Kennedy, he said, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.